The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Let me tell you what the buzz is today. The buzz is a staying from... John F. Kennedy, the late U.S. president, change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. There's something to ponder. So let's talk about our business topic today here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. You've all heard the term digital transformation. I know, I know, everybody is pounding you with it, all kinds of businesses, all kinds of industries. You have to be part of digital transformation. It's everywhere. But do we really know what it really means? Well, easy answer. Anybody will tell you, yeah, digital transformation is about software. It's about technology adoption. you got to change the tools you use. Well, our panel today is going to tell you something a little bit different. They say digital transformation is about changing everything else. What am I talking about? Well, let's start with your business activities. Let's start with your business models. Let's go to processes and competencies in your organization, plural, and operations, and so much more. It really requires deeper thought about strategic topics and an even deeper commitment to adopt innovate and achieve continuing success. Hey, you're in business. That's what you want, continuing success. You want to grow. You want to thrive. You want to be sustainable. So the question we pose to all of our listeners around the world here on the Business Channel, is your company on the right path to the right digital future? Mm, again, something to ponder. So let me tell you who's on. I'm so pleased to have three panelists who were on part one of this topic. The topic is officially the future of designing innovation. And they were all with me on our series called The Future of Business with Game Changes a couple months ago. We invited them back because of such a lively, insightful conversation. In a moment, I'll be speaking with Jeremy C. Thomas, the founder of Karam, C-A-R-O-M, and he'll tell us what he does. He's joined by Jennifer Ford, Executive Director for North America Pre-Sales Design Thinking Team at SAP. And rounding out the panel is Charlotte Bowie, B-U-I, Head of the Global Design Thinking Team at SAP within the office of the CEO. So let's get started. I'm going to circle back around the table to Jeremy Thomas. I think he'll let me dispense with the C unless he insists. Well, I'm Bonnie D, so Jeremy, I guess I can keep the C. Jeremy (laughs) has sent me a quote from Sir Ken Robinson. You're not familiar? Ken Robinson was born in March of 1950. He's a young'un, as I like to say, young'un, a British author, speaker, and international advisor on education and the arts to government, nonprofits, education, and arts bodies. He was director of the arts in schools, 
and professor of arts education at the University of Warwick, on and on and on. Let's see what's important to him. Uh, he suggested that to engage and succeed, education has to develop on three fronts. And I won't get into all of that, but he has been widely tackled on his approach to education. Very, very interesting. People say that he is he dazzled teachers by his lectures, Jeremy, and later they say, nah, this isn't going to work. So here's the quote, but I love the quote. If you're not prepared to be wrong, You'll never come up with anything original. I think that stands on its own merits. Jeremy C. Thomas, how are you? I'm well. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. Love the quote from Ken Robinson. Did you know that he was uh, very controversial? I did. I did. And I have a lot of personal um, thoughts. I have small children. And when it comes to education, I I think there's a, a lot that needs to change, a lot that could be better. And so he may be controversial, but... You know, in my line of work, that's what I look for. Bravo. Good, good, good rejoinder. I appreciate that. Yeah, sometimes it's the ones who are disruptive. Isn't that what we talk about here on Game Changers? Jeremy is is disruption and people who think outside the box or outside the box that everybody else thinks is outside the box and disrupt and make us think a little more deeply. Isn't that what we're really trying to to bring to the table for our listeners around the world? Yes, and I think especially if we tie it back to, to Ken Robinson and education, I mean, we are taught from the very beginning to think in a certain way and to have a very much goal-oriented tunnel sort of vision, and mm-hmm. that is not the way to get outside the box. That is not the way to think differently. It's the way for all of us to approach everything exactly the same way. And so I think it's critical as we discuss this topic not that everyone has to be comfortable with this. You shouldn't be comfortable with it. But really, mm-hmm. you need to recognize the fact that you have blinders on because of the experience, because of the education, because of the job training that we have. It doesn't teach you or lend itself to being wrong or to challenging the status quo. Um, yeah, and, and that's where that's where I try to go. Very well put. And uh, I, I'm going to propose a variation on this quote we've often heard, especially in design thinking and innovation. We've heard fail fast and fail often, but you're not supposed to just keep failing. You're supposed to learn from those failures. I didn't say mistakes. Learn from those failures and then try something different to move you toward whatever you think the goal is. Are we good with that? Absolutely. I think that uh, it's one of the things that I've, I've said many times doing trainings for design thinking is, look, failure is not a bad word. It's education. You know, you have to learn. If you, As long as you learn from it, then, then it was a positive experience. It's when you don't learn that it's a problem. Absolutely. You know, one of my, uh, my, my, my very sticking moments in school came, uh, I think you'll appreciate this, Jeremy, and I'll move on to Jennifer in just a second, but it came, I think, in junior high school, now called middle school, when I gave a wrong answer in a social studies class, and the teacher laughed at me, and she encouraged the whole class to laugh at me. It was never mm-hmm. the same again. And it, was, it wasn't really a bad answer. It just wasn't the answer she wanted. And I was ridiculed. Right. And it left me unable to contribute in class for many, many, it was traumatic to raise my hands after that. So we have to think about, right, it might not be the right answer, but how can you help the student think more broadly or get them to that right answer rather than say, oh, wrong, you're a terrible person. Oh, my God, you got to get out of the class. We, we don't want to do that anymore. I, I like the way you think. How old are your kids, Jeremy? Uh, six and almost two. Oh, bless you. <laughs> That's all I'll say. 
Jeremy Thomas, wonderful to have you back. Do I have to say Jeremy C., or can we just go to Jeremy Thomas? Is that okay? No, you can go to Jeremy Thomas. It's fine. We're, we're friends now. Thank you very much. Yeah. And now I'm pleased to invite Jennifer Ford to talk about her quote. Jennifer has sent me a quote from Jack London, full name John Griffith. Jack London, born John Griffith Cheney, he had a lot of names, 1876 to 1916. He was an American novelist, journalist, and social activist. And I like the word activist. He was a pioneer in the then burgeoning world of commercial magazine fiction and one of the first fiction writers to obtain worldwide celebrity and a lot of money. We call it a large fortune from his fiction alone. Some of Jack London's most famous titles are The Call of the Wild and White Fang, both set in the Klondike gold rush and the short stories to build a fire an odyssey of the north and love of life he also wrote about south the south pacific in stories like the pearls of parlay and the heathen and he wrote in about san francisco bay area in the seawolf very interesting here's the quote that jennifer has selected from jack london and Jennifer, I'm using the, I did the uh, the quote finder, and I'm using the original version that is believed to be the, what he really said. And you can add the one that you sent me, which is, is cool. He, he said, don't loaf and invite inspiration. Light out after it with a club. Jennifer Ford, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. And I, I love your version much better than, uh, <laughs> than my original. Tell us what the original was, the one that people think it, it really is. Do you remember it? Uh, I do. Hold on one second. I thought it'd be interesting. I'm 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 a quote uh, researcher. I I love doing this. So I I was hoping you would forgive me for changing the quote. Do you have it around? No, yours is great. You can't wait okay. for inspiration. You have to go after it with a club. There you go. There you go. So good, I, both I like good. his use of the word loaf, though. It's a good throwback. It, it really is. So tell me, how does this relate to our topic? We're talking about designing innovation. We're talking about disruption. We started speaking with Jeremy about changing things up and finding original ways to approach things and accepting failure is a good thing. So what's your POV on this, Jennifer Ford? So, you know, a lot of what uh, we find with our work with customers and, and even, you know, internally is you're not going to find inspiration sitting in your office. You're not going to find inspiration, you know, walking the halls of your own organization. And it's, it's really uncomfortable for people, um, but you have to go out into the world. You have to talk to your customers. You have to talk to your suppliers. You have to talk to uh, the people that, that use your product. You have to talk to the people on the manufacturing floor uh, that'll tell you what works, what doesn't. But inspiration doesn't come to you. You know, it's only when, you know, you run after it, you you basically wrangle it to the floor, and you start to look at what the challenges are or what your opportunities are, and you talk to the people that are involved that you can finally start to find inspiration and find something to uh, to beat with a club. Very interesting. Do you think this is something that we're starting to teach? We're talking about education with Jeremy Thomas a moment ago. Do you think this is something we're starting to teach our kids, Jennifer? Any any thoughts on where education is going in terms of telling kids it's not just enough to sit there and fold your hands and do your homework assignment. We want to teach you to think. You think this is coming up through the ranks or is it going to take more work at the work level, at the workforce level to go back and say, well, your teachers didn't encourage you to do this, but we need this now that you have a job. Any thoughts on that? You know, it's really interesting that you that this came up today because I was just on the phone yesterday with uh, a group out of Philadelphia 
um, that is working with Philadelphia schools. Uh, actually, uh, it's a part of the Gary Maddox Foundation, and they are working with uh, schools in Philadelphia, instituting design thinking as, as a project that the teachers can take on. They have challenges that the schools can engage in using design thinking techniques to look in their school come up with uh, a problem that they want to tackle, and then go through the processes of design thinking in order to come up with solutions. Um, they started this with the high school, then they went down. Now they're doing it all the way from kindergarten all the way through the middle schools into high school that they have these different projects and these different challenges. And we've worked with uh, also schools in Chicago, uh, schools on the West Coast. So the concept of critical thinking and teaching mm-hmm. critical thinking in our schools is definitely, you know, it, it is something that is becoming more and more prevalent, at least in conversation. But you do have people that are also taking an active role and really pressing the issue. Thank you very much. I know our topic is not education, but I think we've gone into that area, and, and I like the way this is going because we just assume somebody gets a job and you say, well, we need you to become innovative. Well, we're going to so thrust this topic of design and thinking on you, and we're going to put you in the room and expect you to do what we used to call in the old days, excuse me, brainstorming, and you have to help us innovate the company and come up with – and people are saying, What? Was I hired for this? How am I supposed to do it? How big is the box I'm supposed to think outside of? What do they Am I being graded on this? Am I right, Jennifer? And, and if we don't start early, they won't know what to do, right? Absolutely. You know, it's your point. Um, if, if, I am only, if I am only looking to be tested on the things that you're telling me to do, then I don't develop any method of thought by myself. But that's also... Um, you know, that came up yesterday. It's also you need to give people an opportunity to be good at things outside of your core curriculum. So if critical thinking is one of them and them being able to, to problem solve, that's another thing that, uh, that kids can take ownership and pride in. Thank you very much. Thank you for indulging my sidebar there. I appreciate it, Jennifer. And now let's bring on, oh, Charlotte Bowie has been waiting in the wings so patiently. Charlotte has t- is taking us into the world of fashion, talking about somebody who is disruptive. She brought us a quote from Coco Chanel. Madame Chanel. And Coco's original name, full name is Gabrielle Bonheur Coco Chanel. She lived from 1883 to 1971, a French fashion designer and businesswoman, and of course the founder and namesake of the Chanel brand, C-H-A-N-E-L, not Channel Kids, Chanel. Along with Paul Poiret, Chanel was credited in the post-World War I era with, listen to this, liberating women from the constraints of the corseted silhouette. I don't think anybody in this call is old enough to remember that. And instead popularizing a sporty, casual chic as the new feminine standard of standard of style. She also, I think, was ahead of her time. She went beyond couture clothing and came up with jewelry, handbags, and fragrance. We all know Chanel Number no. 5, great ads on TV. It's an iconic product. And Coco Chanel is the only fashion designer listed on Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential people of the 20th century. Woohoo! Here is the quote. Success is most often achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. Charlotte Bowie, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Bonnie. Thank you for having me back. 
Oh, we're delighted. Tell me something. Are you a big fan? I'm not going to ask if you wear Chanel Number no. 5 or <laughs> Mademoiselle Chanel. I'm sorry. I just want to wax Francais when I say the name. But uh, tell me a very interesting quote. Success is most often achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. That's a different approach to what we've been talking about. So tell me how you picked the quote, Charlotte. Well, I picked it first from the perspective of Chanel being one of our um, most innovative women of our time. Um, I, I know that you talked about some of the other innovations she had, but one of the biggest things credit to her was just pants for women. So thinking about somebody who came up with a solution for an unarticulated need, coming up to that point and saying, um, do women have to wear dresses? Are they more productive than pants? And her introducing that as an option to me was one of the reasons why I chose her. The quote to me was spoke a bit about um, failure and what keeps people from trying new things, which is fear. And so I kind of took that as a combination of addressing fear as being something that stops you from innovating and then failure as a stepping stone towards innovation and not a blocker. Very interesting. And I I love the way she phrased to Charlotte that failure is inevitable. I guess if you keep keep on keeping on, eventually you may hit that wall. I I don't know. That's a very – if you don't mind, let me bring uh, Jeremy and Jennifer into a discussion of this quote because I think they have something to say. Jeremy, thoughts on they don't know that failure is inevitable. Any thoughts on that, Jeremy? Yeah, no, and I think even more than not knowing it is that once the machine is heading in a certain direction, the inertia they have is just hard to stop. And so regardless of whether they – and sometimes even if they recognize failure, it might be there. I mean, look at some of the biggest companies in the world, like Kodak, that you know just now don't even exist. And, I mean, probably we would have always thought, there's no way they could ever go away and, and fail. But, in fact, they're gone. They're a dinosaur. They're extinct. Um, and, uh, and a lot of it has to do with not recognizing exactly what Charlotte's pointed out. Thank you very much, Jennifer Ford. Any comments on that quote? It's a good one. It is a good one, and, and you know, I I almost wonder if the the lack of knowledge of, of failure is, is the worst part, or if the worst part is knowing failure is going to come and mm-hmm. starting to make um, only safe choices. And so in, instead, of, instead of going out there and, and continuing to try to innovate, uh, you just try to put off the inevitable because you realize it's going to happen. And so let's just be safe and and maintain the status quo. That stifles just as strongly. There you go. And and Charlotte, anything you want to comment on what Jeremy and and Jennifer just added? Any other thoughts before I move on? No, I think they both captured it perfectly. Because for me, around the topic around failure itself, and um, I got on this pretty um, a long time ago when I read the book called The Other F Word, um, and uh, authored by, I think it was John... Banner. I'm not sure if the other two are familiar with this book, but it is a wonderful book that talks about failure and how it's it's inevitable, but you will learn from it. So to Jeremy's point earlier, through education and as we are older adults in the professional working space, you will encounter failure. And the only reason why it will truly be a failure is if you don't learn from it. So it's not really a terrible word. So I think that book is pretty apt in its title. 
It is, and here's the full title, the other, quote-unquote, the letter F word, How Smart Leaders, Teams, and Entrepreneurs Put Failure to Work. It's not only a book, it's a DVD, it's an Amazon video, it's a Prime video. Looks like it's got a bunch of people uh, giggling here on the cover. And it's by John Danner, D-A-N-N-E-R, and Mark Coopersmith. Thank you for the reference. I'm going to tweet that. Very, very interesting. Leverage the power of failure in your organization. Very, very good one. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. So let's go back. I think you all need a break, but before we take one, I'm going to circle back to Jeremy Thomas. And Jeremy, we usually ask what's in your cup today, but I'm going to first ask you where you're calling from. We like to know where our panel is hailing from or where you're sitting right now and either what you're drinking right now that really gets you going in the morning or what you're planning to drink in celebration after the show. Jeremy? Sure. I am calling today from Dublin, California, uh, which is just outside San Francisco in the Bay Area. Uh, calling from home, I happen to be um, not on the road uh, with uh, anything this week. Uh, what I have in my cup now is some lemon ginger uh, hot tea. Uh, and I think a little bit later today, I'll probably have some sort of a nice dark beer to celebrate the nice cool fall weather we've been having the last few days. Uh, something like a porter or a stout. So, Sounds good. Okay, I like that. Thank you very much. And now let's go to Jennifer Ford. Where are you? I am in Ypsilanti, Michigan, Bonnie, and uh, I will probably be selling, celebrating later with uh, a Tito's and ginger ale. Ooh, <laughs> what was the first part of that? A Tito's vodka. Oh, Tito's vodka. Of course. What do you call that, vodka and ginger ale? Is there a name for the cocktail? Uh, in Detroit, uh, nope, we just, we go for the ginger ale because, uh, Verner's is one of our hometown favorites. Well, thank you very much. That's very interesting. And, uh, by the way, thinking outside the box, if I'm not wrong, Jennifer Ford, Ypsilanti starts with a Y. Am I right the way you spell it? It does. And I have to tell you, Bonnie, it is always fun to, uh, check into a, a motel or hotel and have them try to pronounce where it is I live. <laughs> I got it. Thank you very much. Charlotte Bowie, where are you today and what's in your cup today? I'm calling from sunny and unseasonably warm but refreshingly welcome Pennsylvania um, in Newtown Square where our home office is. And in my cup today, I have apple cider because it's October. Mm-hmm. And, well, there you go. <laughs> There you go. And I'm on Long Island, Charlotte. So I'm, I think I'm sharing the same weather system. We were up to one degree below the high yesterday. We set 82 degrees here in New York. They did reach 83 in a couple places, I think LaGuardia Airport and someplace out east. So we're in the same unseasonably beautiful weather. Have the leaves turned up there yet? Or down there? You're below me. Have the leaves turned uh, yet, Charlotte? They have, they have. So they're a bit confused right now because some green ones are coming in and some colored ones are dropping down. Yeah, ours haven't really turned yet. I'm looking outside. There's a gorgeous, uh, it looks like an oak tree that is pure gold right now, but the rest of the trees are still stubbornly hanging onto the green. So that brings me to my cup. I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with an orange straw because I'm waiting for the gorgeous colors of fall. By the way, the garden on my terrace bloomed very, very late because I forgot to give the miracle grow after I started the seeds in June. So they didn't start blooming until late September. I have got the most lush petunia 
petunias that are two feet tall and marigolds that are 18 inches tall. And I hope to goodness they don't freeze to death when the weather turns. So very late blooming, a little bit of Indian summer here. So they are loving the warm weather. So I want to say don't go away. We're going to take a quick break. I'm speaking about the future of designing innovation. But we're bringing in all kinds of interesting topics. We're talking about the value of critical thinking in education. We're talking about the value of failure to organizations. We're talking about getting the education and the training people need to become valuable, innovative members of the workforce, whatever your industry, whatever your company. We're speaking today with Jeremy C. Thomas at Karam, and we'll have Jeremy tell us briefly when we come back in the roundtable what his company does, and Jennifer Ford and Charlotte Bowie at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag sapradio now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back speaking with Jeremy C. Thomas, Jennifer Ford, and Charlotte Bowie. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. If anybody's keeping track of the number of episodes besides me, this is episode, I think, number 253. Started this in October 2011. So let's see, 12, 13, 14, five years. We just had our fifth year anniversary. How about that? On the air live about 50 weeks out of every year. Very happy to be coming to you here on the Business Channel at World Talk Radio. Topic today is the future of designing innovation, part two, back with Jeremy, Jennifer, and Charlotte, who introduced this topic one. Uh, let's see, on July 28th, it wasn't too long ago, on our series called The Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. And Jeremy C. Thomas, we're going to start the roundtable, but before we do, will you tell us a little bit about what your company does, please? Sure. So uh, the name of the company is Karam, and Karam means to uh, transfer energy from one object to another uh, to help change direction. And it's actually a game that's played in India somewhat similar to pool or billiards. Hmm. And the inspiration behind it is really exactly what I do. It's, it's When we come in as Karam, it's a matter of looking at, hey, you're, you're traveling in a certain direction, but you recognize you need to change. You're an established company. Uh, we can help bump you to go in a different direction to find something new and novel uh, so that you can explore areas that you haven't been doing before and that, for whatever reason, you're not able to do by yourself. Uh, I do this on my own. I also do a lot of work still with SAP, but now I do it as Karam instead of as Jeremy Thomas. 
Okay, thank you very much for that. And let's talk about, looking at your notes, to talk about a topic I introduced in my monologue, Jeremy. You say digital transformation is here, and you say it's got nothing to do with software or technology. Tell me, what is the real meaning? Because it is being bandied about. It's a buzzword. It's on the tip of everyone's tongue. We talk about it all the time on various series of Game Changers Radio, and we think we know what it is. So why don't you set us right, Jeremy? Sure. Uh, that's a, a great question and one that I, I will do my best to answer. But quite honestly, Bonnie, what you said is exactly right. There, there's a lot of um, folks and companies and consultants and, and software vendors out there talking about digital trans- transformation and what I've seen from them. But nobody really knows exactly how to explain it. There's a reason for that. I mean, our technology, our software has been digital. It's been digital for mm-hmm. 30, 40 years. It's not new to have digital technology. What's new is that technology has finally reached the point where the customers no longer need to worry about the features and functions. They need to worry about how do I do my business? How now does this unlock me from the shackles of the traditional IT infrastructure approach to go do new things, to do things with my company that I've never done before, whether it's a business model, a new business process, or business activities, changing the way my employees work. Uh, it's all about real transformation, and I think this attachment of digital doesn't do justice to the fact that really what it's transforming is the other side of the business. Because technology, you know, it basically can do anything we need it to today, and as long as we sell features and functions, that's all that we're going to get, really. And, and that's not enough to, to transform your business. You have to change the people, you have to change their minds, and you have to change what and how they do everything they do. Very interesting. That's provocative. I want to bring in Jennifer Ford into this conversation. Jennifer, agree or disagree? What's your thought on what digital transformation really is, what it really needs? I, I agree with what Jeremy is saying, um, but I also think that um, where companies struggle today is in better understanding what digital means to them, which is, sounds kind of funny, um, but in a lot of cases, they still don't trust that you know the technology is there or that technology can help them move forward. Um, it, and a lot of it just has to do with not, being aware that's not their core competence and it, it's not what they spend their time thinking about and so they're really looking for different ideas that can help them better understand if this is what it means to have a digital outcome to an experience that my customer has with me then how do I get there you know and, and so they're looking for who in my organization should be responsible who are the who are the partners that can help me get there and what does this look like you know and are there other industries out there that have helped their customers experience this or their employees work differently to do this and so there's a lot of um there's a lot of outreach right now by different companies that uh they they kind of get it but they're really trying to better understand what does digital mean for them and, and where where should they focus their efforts to drive value. Thank you very much. bunch of key words in there, Jennifer. Charlotte Bowie, let's bring you in. What are your thoughts on what does digital transformation really need, really mean? Well, I'm going to agree um, 
with what Jeremy brought up earlier, which is digital is not new. It's been there for a while. In fact, the words digital transformation makes it sound like something that just happened in this century, but it hasn't, right? It's, it's been there for a while. Um, however, I think to Jennifer's point, asking about who is responsible for this, um, I think is also a very important thing to explore because if we take what Jeremy said earlier about it not being just focused on the technologies as feature and functions, what lies beyond that? So I'd have to say recently I read, just a couple of days ago, in fact, I read a, a Forbes article from a contributor, I think it was Brian Solis, who's written several other mm-hmm. uh, Forbes articles, and he talked about who's responsible for digital transformation. And often we hear the CIO. So to Jeremy's point, perhaps it's not that. It's, it's not around technology features and functions. And uh, the provocative statement he made was, it's probably more in the court of the CMO, other parts of the business. Um, and I think it goes back to when we talked about other being perhaps a customer experience, what, you know, what we need to gather, um, whether it's data, information, experience, to change a business. Because transformation is, in effect, change, right? And so it's almost like the new way to say re-everything, reimagine, reinvent. Mm-hmm. Very good point. I like the re and yes, the changing idea. Jeremy, we've we've uh, talked about this topic before. I move on to something from Jennifer Ford's notes. Anything you want to wrap up for this, Jeremy? Yeah, I think I really appreciate the words that um, both Jennifer and Charlotte added. And I'm gonna just because it was the last thing Charlotte said, I'll just finish with the the idea of the re. And I think that you know it is important for an established company doing a traditional business to really be thinking about the re's. But I think the reality of anything that you put re in front of assumes that all you're doing is still working within the confines. At least the danger is that you're working within the same confines of what you were doing before. Sometimes you just need to start all over. And that doesn't necessarily mean re. That means, am I even doing the right thing in the first place? Because reimagining a business process still ends up with a business process. Maybe you shouldn't have one in the first place for a particular business activity or business model. Um, so there, there's a lot of re out there, and I just I want to, to kind of warn folks that simply always thinking of redoing everything is not always getting completely outside the box. Provocative. Charlotte, you want to do a rebuttal is, on that? I, Agree I or disagree? <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, I have love to. that. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Charlotte first, then Jennifer. Charlotte? Sure. Um, I actually don't even think that needs a rebuttal because I would agree with that. What I was (laughs) saying was digital transformation right now is re-everything, but re-everything, to Jeremy's point, isn't uh, the direction for change, right? So change could be making something better, but that's incremental, right? You, You go into this model of just making things a little bit better, and then you extend it by broadening it a bit. But innovation is actually flipping it on its head, maybe completely looking at it from a different angle. Um, and, and so I appreciate uh, the points that Jeremy made that it isn't re everything because that's, I mean, sorry for the little bit of a silliness, but it's like rewinding or going back mm-hmm. and trying to make things just a little bit better. Whereas innovating, you, you need to turn it on its head. You need to look at it in a different way and ask yourself, is that needed? And what unarticulated needs are we missing? Mm, thank you. And that's a good segue to one I'm going to start with Jennifer. But Jennifer Ford, I know you wanted to chime in on this before I go to a new topic. Jennifer? You know, I think that that, that is where a lot of the organizations struggle because 
that that's a very scary proposition because you have people in organizational departments, you have people that have done things because that's the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. And so now what you're talking about, you know, is is potentially upsetting the organization by really questioning not just is what we do as a company valuable or as valuable as it could possibly be, but are the people that we have doing these activities doing the right things to support what we want as an outcome? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that organizations, you know, in a lot of cases have not done very well from a change management perspective. And it requires, I think that was a great, you know, conversation with Charlotte and Jeremy previously of, of who's responsible. You know, and, and really you need to look at this from a perspective of organizational change and how do you go down this path so that it doesn't look all rocky and, and fearful, but that you have a deliberate action that this is what it means to us in order to drive this outcome. And and we're going to take you along with us, but you may not be doing what you've always done in the past. It sounds to me, the, my comment, it sounds to me like we're talking about the land of the free, free to think in a different direction and the home of the very, very brave. Can I, can I say that about the topic? Because we can, we can get into, and we, we might, I want to pick up a statement from Jennifer's notes here for a second because you gave me a twice a perfect segue into it, Jennifer. But thinking about who's responsible, well, who gets to wake up in the morning and say, damn, my company's done pretty well, but damn, I don't think we're really meeting the market needs. I don't think we're really using our creativity. I think we can do so much better. I'm going to tell everybody, pump up your coffee, leaded coffee only, come with a lot of caffeine, and we're going to start thinking outside every box we ever created, and we're going to go out there and retackle, reimagine, re-energize everything we do. And the people in the around the boardroom are going to say, what would he was he smoking last night? <laughs> Did he get any sleep? What is he asking us to do? So uh, let's put that on the table on the back burner just for a second, talking about who, not only who's responsible, but who has to start the idea process of re or starting all over again, which is restarting. We I'm using your re, uh, Charlotte. So Jennifer, let me pick up a statement here. I think is very important to the conversation. And then before we go to the predictions round, we'll get back to where this energy comes from, if that's okay. So Jennifer says, all of this, this transformation requires companies to reconsider their competitive differentiation against, get this, what individuals and organizations now find valuable. Very big deal here, Jennifer. Why don't you expand this for us? Absolutely. You know, we we work with a lot of different customers. and, And what you have today, you know, people talk about millennials from many different perspectives. You know, but what you have is a large group of people that because of their circumstance and because of, you know, the way that they have a lot of student debt, they have, you know, different ways of looking at the world. Their individual circumstances have driven these large numbers of people to start to look at life differently. And so when you have people that have put experiences above owning assets as, you know, the way that they want to move through life, um, you know, if you are an asset manufacturer or a person that sells assets, how do you change in order to provide somebody with an experience that they find valuable and will pay for if it's not buying the product that you have today? You know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think in a lot of cases that 
you know, others that maybe don't have the numbers that we talk about with the millennials today, you know, a lot of people, I think, are, are also trying to look at that. You know, what, what would my life be like if I could do this? Very interesting. Uh, let's get Charlotte in on this. Charlotte, what do you think? Well, to Jennifer's point, it uh, sparked a thought in my head that I've heard this before, where um, we see companies that traditionally would be selling products and services like, let's say, a washing machine. But instead, the, the way to kind of turn that on its head is selling the, the idea of clean clothes, right? So we're, we're now shifting the value proposition to, um, from what we're offering our customers now to what Jennifer said was an experience. Um, and I think that's part of, if we're going to tie this back to our original uh, conversation back in July around design thinking and thinking about our thinking beyond just tangible things, we're, we're thinking about experiences and emotions and tying that back to what businesses can offer. Um, so I, I think that uh, Jennifer's statement is, is quite apt and, and a bit provocative as well. Very much. And this reminds me of the phrase that's been quoted many times to people, uh, companies like hardware stores, it's don't sell drills, sell holes, Right. You're selling the solution, right? And they talk about, I'm looking at an article in Inc.com from June 2015. It said, with product life nearing infinity, you'd better be selling solutions. What do customers Mm -hmm. want? They want quarter-inch holes. They don't want quarter-inch drills. Okay, there we go. Very interesting. Jeremy, join us. Thoughts, please? Yeah, I think that it's uh, it's a really fascinating topic, and I think that you know the the things that Charlotte and Jennifer have brought in on one side, you know, I think there's the experience and the um, value that a company offers to a millennial who potentially would work for them, uh, and that it needs to be very different than the way it's been done traditionally. To the experience as a customer, that it also needs to be a little bit different in selling them a different experience, offering a different sort of value proposition. And I think that this transformation, even in the, the way we consume both our work and our goods and services, is under a paradigm shift. And, and if we look at a company, I just read an article about Uber the other day and how, um, you know, there's a there's kind of a disconnect with Uber because if you look at it, if, if, if as some people believe, the future of work is that we're going to have um, independent contractors like Uber drivers that are working for every company as customer service reps and all those things. What does their world really look like? Because now they're not getting the traditional things from, a, from their, their employer that they expect. Um, and so even that experience has to change because now we're talking about retirement benefits. We're talking about health insurance. We're talking about all sorts of things that don't work in the new paradigm. Uh, and and that paradigm is being shifted because of a focus on customers, as, as uh, Charlotte mentioned, but it's changing everything, and that's why this idea of digital transformation, that's what this is about. It's about how do I make all this work now that technology has enabled me to forget about the features and functions discussion that I'm used to having. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Charlotte? I'm sorry. I'm going back to Jennifer. Charlotte, I'm looking at your notes. That's why I called you. Jennifer Ford, you want to wrap this one up? Thoughts on what Charlotte and Jeremy just added? Uh, you know, absolutely. I think that um, I, I, I think that what we're going to see over, and I know that we have our 2020 at the end, Bonnie, but, you know, the pace of change is not going to slow down. And 
you know, what this means to individuals, to organizations. Uh, I think what I'm seeing right now with uh, a lot of private and public partnerships is how do you start to more focus on the individual and what is going to be the impact to individuals? You know, because organizations employ people, people purchase goods and services, you know, and, and how, how do you make sure that that synergy and what people find valuable can still be, um, can still be profitable so that we can still mm-hmm. hire people and we can still move them, you know, in a, in a, we, a matter that we've grown accustomed to, I guess, is, is the best way to put it forward. You know, that's, that's a part of the American dream. And how do we make sure that that, that dream keeps moving forward? Thank you very much. And I want to make sure we get to a couple more topics before we go to our crystal ball predictions round. Charlotte, I'm looking at something from your notes from part one I'd like to bring up again. I think it's very telling. We were talking about education, critical thinking. Well, if you don't have the benefit, if you're an older employee or you just aren't 12 years old right now and you're already in the workforce and somebody says, oh, we're going to teach you how to think outside the box. We're having a design thinking workshop. It starts next Friday. Cancel everything on your calendar. You're going to be in this room with a trainer for a couple hours a day for the next two weeks. You're going to get projects. Okay, sounds interesting. So your notes, you said, Charlotte Bowie, design thinking is often defined by workshops, but if it ends there, we would not see the incredible outcomes that result in great innovations extended beyond the workshop. So let's talk about how do you get it to stick where it's not just you have to take this training, Bob and Mary and Sue and Sally and whatever whatever your workforce is, you have to actually do something with it later. It has to become part of who you are, how you think, and the fabric of the company. So how do we do that, Charlotte? Sure. So um, in that case with workshops, I was speaking both on the enablement side and then also on workshops that we have with our customers. So whenever we're thinking about design thinking, they call in what we call the design thinking facilitator. They pick up the phone and it's almost like a hotline. Mm -hmm. We need a facilitator, right? Uh, Design thinking leaders, um, their job isn't just to facilitate. So my point here is we come in with with content and thought leadership around areas of technology trends, social trends, industry trends, um, we, we help businesses think differently about what they're doing and perhaps make it better or extend it or just completely flip it. And with design thinking, a lot of um, issues that we have around adoption is that it's just a workshop in and out or what we used to call like sprinkling the, the magic dust, but it's not that. There's Tremendous amount of work that goes into at the beginning, understanding the customer, understanding the business, and understanding their needs. And then one of the key items um, of design thinking is the outcome. So you come up with a lot of these ideas, these blue sky ideas, that would be wonderful if. However, if it stops there, then I I think there's a famous quote, and I I can't, I have to be honest, I'm not sure exactly who said it, but an idea without execution is nothing more. So the, the point behind Ending design thinking at a workshop means that you haven't really done anything unique, different. You haven't done anything that you can carry forward. But if you take those ideas, you synthesize them, and then you look at the technology that can help make them happen, and you look at the outcome, the experience that it gives to the end customers, that's when you truly innovate, and that's when you truly take design thinking to help you lead digital transformation. Thank you. Very eloquently put. Jeremy Thomas, what do you think? Yeah, I think Charlotte has it right with the the idea of workshops, and you know, I can 
um, go back from the very beginning for me when I first started uh, practicing design thinking in my very first workshop. And one of the realizations I had was, you know, this is, this is about changing the way we think about things, changing the approach we have to doing things. And one of the problems with the workshop approach and, and by and large with design thinking everywhere today is that it's a methodology and a methodology by definition is not something that's going to, that's really going to challenge the status quo. It's just the, the latest thing to follow unless you have the right way of thinking. And that's why regardless of whether I'm doing a training or an enablement or an actual workshop where I'm trying to inspire people, what I want as the outcome of that is that, that, that they will actually think differently so that they do take those next steps, as Charlotte said, to execute. But they need to continue to execute, not in the old way, but in really thinking about a different way to approach their problems because that's where the innovation opportunities will be unlocked. But it's just, it's, we have to get away from this idea that it's a methodology. No, it's a philosophy. It's an approach to how we do things. And that's where I want to go. I like that. Thank you very much. Uh, Jennifer, let's circle around to you. Thoughts, please? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I would say that it is something intrinsic to design thinking as much as it is organizations in general. Um, if you are talking about trying to drive innovation within your organization, then the first thing that you need to do is to open your organization to change and to innovation. You have to give your people the permission to fail, to try things. Uh, you have to tell them that this is their responsibility, you know, and to provide them with mechanisms to try those different things. So whether it's design thinking or agile or, you know, whatever the, uh, the methodology you're going to employ in order to try to change people's mindsets, you also need to empower them with the ability to make change. They need budgets. They need different ways of working. They need to be able to move their offices so that they need to be closer to the people that they need to work with now. You know, it's, it's not just a workshop and it's not just a, a frame of mind. This means that you need to be prepared that innovation gets messy and it requires change and it requires trust. Mm, you mentioned a couple of key words in there. It gets messy and it requires trust. So let's expand this a little. We're about two minutes away from the predictions round, but I, I almost want to do this more than I want to get your predictions, the three of you. So, Jennifer, <laughs> let's start with you because you, you just brought this up. Um, who, where does it, whose responsibility is it to say what Jeremy said so, so specifically? can't just be a methodology. You will take a workshop. You will follow these rules. You will think this way. It has to be an approach, a philosophy, a way of working, a way of thinking in order for it to stick and have any value to the organization. So who needs to be responsible for this? Jennifer, and, and, and don't just, it could be, your answer could be the title of the person, the department, or what part of the workforce, the five or six generations we have working. Is this energy? going to come from millennials who are not yet in a managerial level? They're going to say, hey, this sucks. we got to do something different. Is anybody going to listen? Does it have to come from the CEO, the CMO, the CFO says, hey, this isn't working. We have to do something different. And people say, oh, yeah, okay, another workshop, another training session. Where, where does it need to come from to stick? Jennifer, why don't you try it for one minute? Then we'll do Charlotte and Jeremy. And if we have time left, we'll go to predictions. Okay? Sure. So it has to start from the highest 
level person within the organization that is trying to drive change within their area. And they have to define it by stating what the outcome is they are trying to drive to. So what is it strategically you want to have happen? And that may be the CEO. It may be the head of sales. It may be the head of procurement. But they have to say, this is what we have to do. We need to drive to this outcome. I need you all to tell me what needs to happen in order for that outcome to take place, who within our organization is responsible for it, and how do they need to do things differently in order to make that outcome take place. And I will back you and give you the, all the enablement that you need in order to make that happen, because that's what we need to do. Thank you. I like that. Let's turn to Charlotte Bowie. Would you agree or disagree? What do you see? Yeah, I do see that it's, uh, design thinking is, 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 should be permeable throughout the entire, permeate throughout the entire organization. Um, and Jennifer brought up some good points around just culture. Um, permission, where she said permission to fail, open to change, and it actually helped me uh, recall what Adobe did with their, I think it was called Kickbox or the Adobe Redbox of Innovation, where they actually created a program that encouraged people throughout the organization, not just one group, not just one organization, but the entire company to say, if we gave you the tools to help you think differently and to expand your knowledge, and those part of that is using design thinking, right? Part of that is uh, thinking differently about problems that they have may have today, or or new challenges that may they may uncover. I think having that top down sort of um, encouragement to do this will definitely help businesses change the way they think. And design thinking is one of many different approaches. Uh, I also don't think that it ends with you know going into an enablement and then going into a workshop. It should just be a way of thinking, just a way you approach any problem, whether it's in the workplace or even at home. Um, It's just the way you look at problems differently. I think we need a new hashtag. It has to be either transformational thinking, maybe they have one, I don't know, or a new workshop in uh, digital transformation thinking. I don't know. We have design thing. We've got to come up with something else. Jeremy C. Thomas, I saved a minute for you, and then I think we'll do a a one-sentence prediction. I do want to know what you're thinking. So, Jeremy Thomas, what do you think about where does it need to start in the organization to really make a difference? Yeah, so what I see is really there's, you know, it's already happening from the top of many companies, and and quite honestly, it's not working coming from the top. Uh, and mm-hmm. there's also a lot of interest when you work with folks down at the uh, at the execution level of a company. They're excited, they like what they see. Where it all falls apart, and where we have to have the change is in the middle. It's the middle management portion that is a problem, and it's a problem because they're given the strategy of, yes, we think this is great from the top, from the executives, but they're also the ones tasked with executing the day-to-day operations and processes. And in a large established company, that will always take precedence. So it's those folks that have to be changed or the organizational structure has to change to allow them to separate execution from thinking differently because executing operations and processes is not going to lead to anything uh, that's going to do this. So you've got to get those folks and and change the way they think, change the way they approach day-to-day operations to really make this sort of, of philosophy stick inside a big company. 
Thank you very much. Jeremy, why don't you give me a one-sentence prediction? Let's look ahead to the year 2020 because we're so close to the end of the show. One sentence, what will change about the future of designing innovation? Go ahead, and then one one sentence for Charlotte, one sentence for Jennifer, then for Charlotte, and then I'll wrap up. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, my prediction is that there will be a, a huge change in the way that uh, companies approach doing this kind of work. I don't think it will be workshop-based, as, as Charlotte said. I think we will have a new way of, of organizing a company that allows for a set of individuals to work this way and then to spread it like fire. And today, that doesn't exist, um, but, but I think it will have to exist because people like me who are working from the outside and seeing what's happening, we're going to challenge it, and, and we're going to continue to push and be provocative and try to break up the the efficiency and effectiveness of a standard organization. Thank you. That was a big one sentence, but I loved it. <laughs> Char- yeah, Jennifer sorry. Ford, <laughs> Jennifer Ford, two sentences, and then two, and then we're really out of time. So go ahead. Uh, twenty twenty, this disruption and uh, and innovation is going to force a change on our education system. We need people to be able to drive this forward to maintain our uh, our, our forward momentum. Thank you. Charlotte Bowie, two sentences. Go. Okay. Uh, I, I strongly believe that the design mindset will become contagious, and it will spread top to bottom, bottom to top, middle, up and down, and uh, it will just be a way of working. It won't be new anymore. Thank you very much. I want to say a special thank you to David Fowler at SAP, the sponsor of The Future of Business with Game Changers, for discovering this wonderful panel, Jeremy C. Thomas, Jennifer Ford, Charlotte Bowie, and letting me bring them over here onto Coffee Break with Game Changers so we could share their expertise with a, with a different audience. Thank you, Dave Fowler. And thank you to our three panelists. Thank you to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been very interesting and thought-provoking, and that's all we're really trying to do. So... Here's my call to action, and you know I mean it. Fasten your seatbelt. Make it nice and snug. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.